This is the FinTech Black Podcast Series. We feature influential black and brown leaders and enthusiasts from the FinTech, crypto, metaverse to pull back the curtain on business, tech, and culture. I'm your host, Athul Prasher, and today I'm blessed to join to be joined by two distinguished guests, Zach Rubin, SVP Consulting, Vayner Sports, and Anthony Johnson, Certified MBPA and FIBA, Player Sports Agent, Founder, Renaissance Sports Group. I'm going to tee it off to them uh, and get, let them do a deeper dive into their, into their intros. Anthony. All right. I'll be brief. Um, 10, 10, 10 to 15 years in the sports aid, sports marketing world industry. Um, I've been an agent for three years, uh, certified with Renaissance Sports Group. I'm an NBA agent as well as a FIBA agent. I'm representing overseas clients as well. Um, beyond that, as of late, I've been working with uh, several college athletes in the name, image, and likeness space. Um, and excited to work with everybody. Um, I would say from an academic perspective, I'm a proud University of Maryland Terp alum and Morgan State alum as well. So go Bears and go Terps. Let's build. Nice. Love it. And uh, I'm Zach Rubin. I'm the SVP of consulting at Vayner Sports. And so uh, like Anthony, I've I've been in the sports industry for 15 years, uh, but sitting on the other side, uh, working with brands uh, and helping them achieve what they want to achieve through sports marketing. And so at Vayner Sports, we do represent talent and our consulting division is our um, fifth and newest division. And uh, we've been heavily focused on supporting brands through NIL, working with organizations like Dr. Pepper and Bojangles to help build some really breakthrough campaigns. So um, excited to be here. Thank you for having us. Oh, absolutely. And my, my name is Athul Prasher. I run a venture group and we invest in tech plays and media entertainment sports, uh, delving deep into the meta, crypto, uh, everything we're going to chat about today. So we have a lot of relationships, a lot of sports groups. So it's going to be fascinating. I'm going to give you, as I mentioned to the gentleman here, uh, they're far, they, their knowledge is far more vast than mine in this space. But I'm a numbers nerd, right? So I want to talk about this. I was going to give you two things that are com- completely off the cuff. Rivian Electric Trucks, $120 billion market cap, right? They've booked $1 million in revenues, potentially, allegedly, and they're hoping to release, hopefully, 1,000 trucks by the end of this year. And so that means each produced truck is uh, $120 million in value, technically, if you look at those numbers, right? Nikola, let's go from the floor now. Let's go on the floor on the other side. This gives you floor. Electric vehicle trucks, they make zero dollars in revenue. They falsified reports. CEO, CEO has been arrested and they have a $6 billion market cap. So one twentieth of our friends Rivian, who just appeared the other day. So these are our numbers that we're, we're dealing in this space, right? Stock market is forward looking, but aside from anomaly of last year, premium usually is 10 to 20% range, not 120 million X like we just saw in those numbers. So NIL with players is often built on future performance and success. So giving a young Kid, let's say to me, my age, uh, five to 10K versus something and more might make sense if you look at the current economic climate, the current market climate. Uh, that's where I was going with those numbers, guys. Um, that's the geekiness in me. All right. So the name, image, and likeness, NIL, an athlete taking control, truly owning their personal brand for the sake of personal gain through some form of compensation, monetary endorsements, albeit. Um, and we have to look at this. Every new TV deal sets a new record for sports. There's enough money in the ecosystem. Just now we're getting it into a new set of pockets, rightfully so. And we have these gentlemen here with us that 
are going to help us kind of navigate this space and see the opportunities and what else is kind of in the frontier. Uh, this has long been talked about, gentlemen. COVID last year may have accelerated the timeline of it finally getting pushed through because, uh, you know, the NCA it kind of allowed various conferences to set their own regulations around playing last year. And they probably said, hey, maybe this is now, now's the time to take our shot in this NIL space, <laughs> right? Um, yep. So some of the points we'll address here, and I'm going to let the, the experts take over. The athlete marketing platform, open doors, uh, and these numbers may have been modified since, but release data indicating average endorsements right now, D1, $450, $70. D2 is about $81 on average that some of these athletes are earning, and D3, $47 on average. Uh, then obviously you're going to have your elite performers. With some athletes... I want to I want to get to these hopefully at some point on top of everything else you're going to be talking about. Will some athletes maybe stay in college longer if they potentially don't have a long term play and or, or a 50 50 shot at the pros. Right. Um, and as society, I got to bring this one last thing in. We have this belief that any change to the status quo is only going to have great outcomes for everyone. We're a capitalist society. Uh, so we always find a way for winners to continue to win. Right. So let's get in there. Um Kick us off. You know, let's talk about some of the unique strategies, what you're seeing and what, what to set, set the frontier up. Let's go with it. Who, who wants to jump in first? I'll jump in first. You know, what's been really, what, what's been really interesting that we've seen. And, you know, most importantly, this is a long time coming for student athletes, as you referred to. Um, you know, this isn't just something in one, two, three years that's been happening. This is decades in the making. And because of that, this, this has the opportunity to start the path of generational wealth um, for these athletes. And, you know, uniquely enough, you know, 99% of NCAA student athletes do not turn pro. So this really provides a democratized opportunity, you know, for student athletes to help them get started in the business world. So I think what's been unique so far is uh, in the athletes that we've talked to, the brands that we've worked with, helping them understand that they can use these marketing opportunities to start setting forward their financial futures. Looking at athletes like Marshawn Lynch, Joe Burrow came out recently and said, Hey, I live off of endorsements alone. I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm link, I'm banking my contract. That's going to be there for long-term from an investment standpoint. I'm going to live off my marketing. So being able to be that smarter, younger, modern athlete, you don't want to go broke. You don't want to be another statistic like these pro athletes who two to five years out are, are becoming broke. If these individual student athletes are taking the opportunity to invest, partner with financial advisors, contract advisors, build their estate, build businesses properly, they're thinking through that from, from the ground floor. And to your point, it's, it's starting the process earlier, which is great and what it should be, but really tap in, tapping into the entrepreneurial spirit that this Gen Z group has um, to help them identify, did I, did I get early enough on the next smart water body armor experience? Even that five to $10,000 can go a long way if I'm, you know, putting it in the ETF and letting it ride for the next 40 years. I mean, that, sure. those are things that can set you up for success long-term. I've been really impressed with a lot of the student athletes who've taken the right approach to their long-term financial future and understanding that this is game-changing for them. Life-changing, really. Fantastic. Anthony? I think it's a an immense opportunity, but I think the systems are not in place as of yet for them to completely succeed in this process, right? I think um, you made a mention open doors to average deal is like 400 to 400, 400 to $500 per deal. Mm -hmm. um, just generally speaking, most athletes, you probably don't want them to have more than four to five different NIL deals because you don't want them to cannibalize their brand. 
So just going off of on average, right? Let's just say if you got four or five deals on average at $500, that's maybe $2,000 roughly. Um, that's not a, that's not a, yeah, that's not enough for an athlete to live off of per se. And, and we're comparing them to the pro athletes. But I do think this is very much the foundation to something that's going to grow immensely. But I think as it stands right now, I will say, um, I feel like the brands are kind of in some capacity taking advantage of the athletes, right? I think that the deals in which they're offering them, one, we know brands have marketing budgets and funds allocated towards, you know, building their, you know, their visibility and awareness. I think representation is so essential right now because the, a lot of the, these athletes are doing these things independently. They don't have agents. They don't have marketing managers and so on. And the brands, are, a lot of their stuff right now is in kind. They're giving them free merchandise or whatever, and they're not really paying them accordingly as athlete influencers. I think to your point, Zach, I think ownership is very key in this process. And I think in order to um, really position yourself effectively, you have to not only own your brand, but um, get some equity potentially into a company if you're really trying to get a long-term payoff. Now, the way the NIL rules are very are written today, it's very complex when it comes to long-term deals, equity, and so on, that yep. will really pay dividends as it pertains to the student-athletes. But that's really how you get a get a payoff. Like we, we can think about Kobe Bryant right now, like what he just did with with um the, with the, the sports trip, right? He he paid dividends even in his him his absence. His family's reaping the benefits because he has equity into that company. A lot of when you when you think about NIL, that's the real big payoff. You have equity into a bank brand or business that you're helping to elevate. That's when the athletes will really win, I, I believe. My personal opinion. So with, with these brands, so so these brands that would want to give equity, they'd have to be earlier stage companies that would want would be willing to take it. That's a big bet, right? It's already. But, uh, it's, is that happening? But it's you so complex that? because the NIL deals cannot extend beyond their collegiate career, right? Correct. So how do you, how do you get an equity play when I have a long term ownership into it when my NIL deal should not be the extent of that two to three year, maybe four years of my college window. So that's where it, it can get very, very complex. You know? And it's interesting too, because the term eligibility, when you think about it from the perspective of the athlete is making sure to Anthony's point, if they don't do a, a good deal because, Hey, I need the cash right now to pay for groceries for the next couple of months then I sell myself short to the point of a brand potentially taking advantage of an athlete and a family it's, it's really a protective measure. You know, if you're an NBA one and done player and you don't do the right deal and you leave college and it's like, oh, I have an opportunity now to correct the situation as I matriculate, you know, making sure that there's absolutely some complications. And again, there are differences between state laws that are set. There are differences between individual school laws that are set. I think the amount of time that we have just spent reading the different legislation that's been passed reading the individual school NIL rules, going through compliance, it, it's a complex situation. Um, and, and to Anthony's point that those equity opportunities only become more magnified in their complexity because right. each state is different, each school is yeah. different in how you're going about this. And they probably have, so some of it's going to be proactive uh, as far as this legislation, but some of it might be reactive. Say, oh, that's someone person, that person found a loophole in some capacity. So they're going to have to try to rectify that, right? Uh, cause right now, a lot of it's reactive. A 
lot of I'm, reactivation. I'm looking at it from a venture perspective. There's a lot of kind of volatility as far as what's legit and what's not, 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 not legit, but like where the loopholes are potentially. Would you see would you see athletes transferring? I mean, does that happen? Do you represent those kind of athletes that are? Hey, I could probably. Uh, hmm, where's there's you know fantasy sports already changed like who the loyalty on teams, right? What's going to happen here? <laughs> I, well, I would say this: the the biggest the biggest story that we've seen hasn't necessarily been taking advantage of the transfer portal yet. It was actually in high school. Um, there's a quarterback Quinn Ewers who's you know as mm. Texas football Friday Night Lights is huge. Texas state NIL rules do not allow him to capitalize on his NIL. So he left high school early to go to Ohio state and he's the heir apparent to CJ Stroud. So he was now, and again, it's been reported, you know, he's making now seven figures in terms of, you know, some, some apparel sort of deals that he's, he's put together. Um, You know, so that being said, he has decided his family decided that, leaving high school to go to Ohio state was the right move for him. I think, you know, it's an emerging trend I'm watching is how high school state legislation changes over time. Because if you have players who are leaving high school early to go to college, to monetize their brand, it's, it's just a very interesting thing to watch. Moving well, didn't forward. New Jersey just pass it. New Jersey just passed high school are a lot. High school athletes are allowed to take on these NIL deals. Is this, is this commonplace? It's not right. I'm assuming not yet. It's not commonplace right now. The states can get very iffy because it's like your high school association rules, but it's also, let's say, if you go to a prep school or some, uh, another institution like IMG or somebody who doesn't necessarily follow the complete state guidelines. So then it's a different it's a different measure right, as to how they're being analyzed. But I will say, I think, to the point about the young man from um, Texas, I think – I think we, we, we tend to mix these things up when it comes to NIL. It simply meaning like, yo, you can be an elite talent. That doesn't necessarily mean you're elite in the NIL space. I think Correct. the major thing is like your ability to really create a sense of community, um, a connectivity with your audience and following because it's all Americans who might have 3,000 followers, right? Who, who doesn't present that NIL value. But you're all a legit all American. But I think um, people people tend to correlate in this NIL space your your success on the field or on the court. That doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be successful in the NIL space. And I want mm-hmm. us as a society to really understand those points of differentiation and how they analyze analyze it, and also how brands look at it. It's just not what you can do on the field, but also what you can do socially. And I think that matters tremendously, and it's not given enough credit. Because I have people that we're working to represent who's who's legitimately a player of the year in his conference, right? <laughs> who mm-hmm. might only have five thousand followers on social media, <laughs> like, like, and that, that that's a that's a lot that's a lot of variance. Then we have a young man who's has fifty to sixty thousand followers who is not even first team all conference at the moment. But those things you have to factor in when it comes to the NIL space. Yeah, there is definitely a. There's an importance that needs to be placed on developing your personal brand compared to your performance brand. I mm-hmm. think a lot of companies who look to partner with athletes tend to go with, oh, well, it may be the athlete who's, you know, a Heisman contender who may, to Anthony's point, only have five to 10,000 followers on social media. So they're looking at it purely spots and dots. It, it behooves then the athlete to start thinking about 
personal brand development that isn't necessarily connected to on-field performance per se, because then it broadens the opportunities immensely, right? If you Mm -hmm. want to tap into Gen Z, I'm not just a football player. I'm a campus ambassador. I can help you connect organically to these communities and individuals instead of you just buying, you know, paid media somewhere. I'm a representation of this community. You want to partner with me to be able to do that authentically in the right way. There's been these. these, I, these I, new I like how you said that personal brand, performance brand. I'm, I'm, I'm going to steal that. I'm just like you know. I'm taking that. Good thing, we're good personal we're brand, performance <laughs> brand. <laughs> 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 by Zach Rubin. dot com. Um, so, in, yeah. <laughs> so the, the social media influence almost matters in some cases as much, right? As you know, because unless if we're just taking it like okay, this is a bad name to bring up here. Maybe Kim Kardashian approach, right? The the presence was there, then the talent. <laughs> was exposed. Maybe, well, the, maybe the talent, well, depending on how you look at it, maybe the talent was exposed earlier. Who knows? And then the brand was created and then it just kept, and then all these other billion dollar opportunities are launched from there. So you heard of Matchpoint and uh, some of these newish apps, right? Um, and walk-ons. Uh, have you heard of these apps? I, I would love to get some clarity, uh, get some your feedback on these. So Matchpoint is a connection app and they, I think they'll do deals as, sh- you know, for non-elite performers. Uh, athletes and you know as low as like fifty, sixty, hundred dollar deals, yep. and then and then they place these folks and these are very highly highly localized, right? Uh, and regional localized. And I'm thinking, and then walk ons, they have a lot of actually endorsers. Drew, you know, Dak Prescott, uh, Drew Brees. I think they're uh, investors in this. Um, I think Drew Brees has a twenty five percent stake, if I'm not mistaken. These are on you know they they can they want to celebrate the underdog stories because I think one of the founders of Walk Ons he's a restaurateur and I think he played like three and a half minutes in some LSU game and he knows that side of it right so he said hey that you know the talent he he said I only came in you know when 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 we were up forty or down forty right right um, so there's there's opportunities for those folks as well I'm assuming what if you put them in the room with like the last two years right the tra- uh, Trevor Lawrence or the Joe Burrows of the world does that increase their Tell me about the apps and then does that increase? Okay. You'll get a pop as far as their relevance. If they're in the same room with one of those guys. Uh, and then does that, is there a way to help that last over time? So take the, take the app portion first. And what are you hearing about those apps versus what uh, you both do? So Yeah. Go ahead, Anthony. I mean, I, I feel like since NIL, there's been an influx of apps to the ones that you mentioned to market price, to mogul, open doors, influencer. It's like, it's so many now at this point. It's like I just at this point I'm just trying to evaluate the legitimacy of them. Um, I will say, and I think as an agent, I will say it's very interesting. Um, meaning, like everybody wants to talk about the agents, but everybody wants to be an agent now in some yeah. se- some pseudo way, right? Right? Like, there's so many different variations of people doing the exact same thing. I'm charging ten to twenty percent of this marketing deal, so basically you're the agent. That's what I feel. But um, I feel like um, at the same time, there is value to some of them. But again, I just I, at this point in this process, I'm trying to differentiate who's the real and who's the pretenders, who's really has pertinent value, valuable context. And at the same time, I feel like if you're some of those elite players and you have representation, you don't need these applications. It depends on yeah. the, the caliber of the player. Like if you're starting quarterback at Oklahoma, Ohio State, and you have representation, those brands are going to get in contact with you or if that agent is doing their job, then it's easy for them to get in contact with those brands. But I do think these platforms offer immense opportunities for the division. If you, if, Even if you are a power five, you get what I'm saying, or you're a division two player or division three player, there's still opportunity in this NIL space 
in which brands want to work with athlete influencers. Um, and it's an, it's an opportunity for them to grow and get some compensation because as Zach mentioned earlier, a lot of these student athletes are not going to be professionals. So mm -hmm. if you can get it, you can get a free education and get some compensation in the interim, um, while you're in college, then take advantage of these platforms to use them accordingly. But I don't think it's for the elite of the elite of the, you know, the major entities. They don't really don't need these applications to be honest. Yeah. No, I, I think it's meant for the non-elites. Actually, that's what the, that's what their place in the world. The, the agent, the ones who can get agents are the ones that come to you, right? The elite performers yeah. they come to you both. Um, go ahead, Zach. I cut you off. Yeah, it, it, it's sir. I agree with Anthony and it fills, it does fill a certain need in the marketplace. There are definitely a lot of them. And representing brands like I do, um, I am going direct nine times out of 10. And either that's okay. to the agent or to the athlete. I mean, in some cases, I would tell you, we work with Bojangles. We launched a chicken sandwich campaign for them. They're a regional company, um, heavy SEC, ACC territory. We partner with 75 athletes connected to schools in which they're partnered with and, and connected to their markets. Every single one of those deals was done directly with the player or the player's agent. Um, in many cases, we use Instagram, um, you know, giving tricks to the trade. I mean, we were DMing athletes and agents um, and, and it, put, it works, right? I mean, at the end wow. of the day, the social is that connective channel to be able to do that. You know, I think as a brand, if, if you have, if you're so spread out, there is not enough time in the day to be physically checking 25 different platforms to see yeah. who's on what to do different things. The end of the day, strategically, we target who we want to work with based on our objectives and mm. the preference is to go direct. There is absolutely a need for athletes who are not the Trevor Lawrence's Zion Williams since the world, as you mentioned, because if you're working with the CAAs, the endeavors of the world who are representing some of those athletes, it's essentially a step early in the process, yeah. building that relationship, the brand is going to find them. It's going to happen that way. So there's certainly uh, a need that is filled in working with them. The larger campaigns that we've collaborated on have been direct, 100%. Now, I will say this. Can I jump in one second? Yeah. So, most of them, I do, you know, we're in agreement that, but some brands, because this is still so new and fresh, we're only like four or five months in. Some yeah. brands are also like, we don't know what to do with this NIL space or like, <laughs> how is it being treated? And they're major entities. So, to some of them, you have to assist them with the ideation of what that collaboration could look like, or, oh, you've worked with this pro athlete in this capacity, or you sponsored this conference. Here's how you can align with this collegiate athlete, and we kind of have to paint the picture. Um, so I say that to say, like, yes, most elite athletes' brands will find them, but there are also major brands who need direction um, for future collaboration, too. So. Uh, agreed. And it's a symbiotic relationship, to be honest with you. I mean, if, if I was rep representing a brand and Anthony was representing an athlete, I need to learn and understand the nuances of the athlete's brand. What is the athlete trying to achieve in this partnership? Mm -hmm. And I can say, hey, here's what the brand is trying to accomplish. But I learn more in collaborating with Anthony and the athlete directly than I would by just putting together that piece of paper as well. But Anthony's point, we can come up with what we think we know and help come up with those ideas. They always get better when you're partnering and collaborating directly with the athlete and their agent. No question. Got it. Got it. Okay. So can you, can you bring up in some of the athletes you've been working with? Are, are you free to disclose or where can we go there? Well, I don't have ahead, 75. Anthony. I heard Zach say 75. So that's, that's a lot of names. I don't have 75 names that I can speak to. <laughs> um, 
but we we have we have a few within our own you know boutique agency. Um, I'll run them off really briefly. Um, on a basketball side, I will say we have Malik Muhammad, who is a he was on uh, Last Chance You on the Netflix series. Um, we have Kai Crutchfield, who was um, on number five team in the country at NC State. Um, on the women's basketball side, we have um, newly bringing on the Jawan Daniels, who plays for Prairie View, who's the preseason conference player of the year. Um, and make sure I'm not forgetting anybody so nobody feels left out on the. And we have a couple of pending that's really going to be some other bigger announcements. And on the football side, we have a couple of players from Clemson. Um, University and Peyton Page. We have um, Nigel Hill, who's an all-conference cornerback at the University of Delaware. We have um, – I'm trying to run off all the names, but I don't want nobody to feel like I forgot them. Um, but we have uh, – we work with Akil – we work with Akil Glass at um, Alabama A&M, who was HBCU Player of the Year. Um, so we, we, we have a good melting pot of different players um, from a social perspective, but also from an accolades um, East Coast, West Coast, Power Five. This we, we have a good melting pot. Nice. Yeah, and, you, at, and at and at Vayner Sports, so um, you know our, our focus is uh, we we represent uh, a handful of football uh, players, uh, most notably uh, Desmond Ritter, starting quarterback at Cincinnati, who's you know leading one of the top teams in the country. Jarrett Patterson, starting center at Notre Notre Dame. Uh, Jason and Justin Adamilola, also at Notre Dame, David Bell at Purdue. Um, and most recently uh, on the basketball front, uh, it's the first entry into to basketball for Vayner Sports with Jalen Duran, who's uh, one of the starters and, and the running mate of Imani Bates at, at Memphis uh, with Penny Hardaway. So, um, and then on, on my end, the work that I'm responsible for, you know, we're, we're working with a, a handful of brands, um, Dr. Pepper, uh, Bojangles, most notably, uh, Candy Digital, who's in the NFT space, um, helping them develop their Sweet Futures line with with college football players, which which came out this fall and just finished a couple weeks ago. And we've got a lot more on the horizon, uh, so so stay tuned there uh, in the coming weeks and months. Uh, but it's been it's been great so far. Because um, I know Greg Gansky and Mike Nelligan, um, they're big into the baseball scene too, right? That's kind of what they're uh, and they're doing a lot in that space too from before. Absolutely. Um, so let's talk about booster money, right? So booster money was a recruiting tool to make, okay, the facilities look kind of sexy and trendy. So then you can recruit. That's a recruiting factor. Now a lot of that money might be going towards this endeavor. Um, does that mean, you know, you're going to have some great brands or great personal brands, people, athletes playing in some kind of shitty facilities? Because how, how are we going to navigate this space? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like if you look at like what um, Florida, University of Florida did with the Gator Collective, they just repurposed that booster money. You know what I'm saying? Um, they okay. took in, they created a, a some fundraising initiative in which all of these funds that they've raised are going to be allocated to name, image, and likeness deals, right? And I just think yeah. they just repurposed it, and it makes them much more marketable. Um, and I think. If most other universities are smart, they're going to follow, you know, their blueprint of what University of Florida did with the Gator Collective and apply it accordingly. Uh, so I think what they've done is awesome. It was innovative. And I think they were ahead of the curve. Hopefully it gave them some type of competitive advantage. And I'm assuming that most of the, at least the SEC, um, if not the, the entire country, is going to follow suit accordingly. Personally. Okay. Yeah, I mean, the, are, the, are you guys familiar with the Gator Collective? No, I, I want to look that up. I didn't know about that. So basically, what be. it did was, 
I, I'll, I'll sum it up in, in a nutshell. They basically said, okay, we're going to have a pot of money in which this money is going to be allocated for all the University of Florida student athletes from a name, image, and likeness play. And they raised like millions of dollars within okay. a couple of, like a week or two. You know what I'm saying? Like from this all, and it was, it enabled their boosters to pour oh, into that amazing. money. So now, if I'm a University of Florida football player, it, now the money's already allocated for them to do name, image, and likeness deals. So if I'm New Era or some company that wants to work with me, they already have the money to compensate them for the name, image, and likeness deal. Now they're just working with the brand because you have to do something transactionally with the student athlete for my name, image, and likeness deal. You can't just give them money. You have to do some type of deal. But now they, they, they have the pot mm. for the brands through the Gator Collective. And I think that was, that was smart. I love that. Yeah, it's going to be a huge fundraising opportunity, right? Um, so the pro and con to that. So that you, you're investing the, the athletes who might be there for two to four years, let's say, whereas the money that was going towards the facilities, those might last 10, 12 years before they get kind of shitty again. Uh, but I do like the money going, and I think they can raise a lot more capital when you could personalize it with an athlete. I completely, I'm, I'm completely on board with that. Uh, it's going to be exciting to see. I love that idea. I think that's going to expand across the nation. Yep. You're right. Zach, anything you want to add to that? Yeah, I mean, look, I was going to say to Anthony's point, at the end of the day, all NIL requires is some form of consideration back and forth. You know, I, I think at the end of the day, um, there's certainly going to be some schools and organizations that get close to that line. But ultimately, you know, I, I haven't seen yet publicly the line be crossed. Um, you know, it, it, it creates great opportunities for everyone so long as it's done right. As long as it's done in the best interest of the school and the athlete and the brands that are associated involved with it, I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay with it. Just uh, I just know there's going to be a couple of examples to get close to that line, and uh, it'll. I haven't seen at least publicly yet. You know, the only post July one issue for an athlete taking dollars that I've seen, which wasn't necessarily booster related, was recently with Kofi Cockburn in Illinois. I think he just got suspended a couple games, but that was a unique situation yeah. where there was an issue that happened before. This was before July 1, and so there hasn't been anything post-July 1 that's that's come out. So the good news is that I believe everybody's doing this the right way. They're doing it ethically and following that consideration line that comes with it. I love that. I love you're to- towing the line. Player's going to play. Recruiter's going to recruit. I love <laughs> I love that kind of <laughs> stance. Um, I, you know, the, you know there, the there was best, like – The best deals are made like that, man. The best yeah, I agree. Me. I agree. So, like right you have on to admit, the line. this is yeah. <laughs> this is going this is going on in college basketball. I mean, you know, allegedly for a long time, right? Now it's kind of, <laughs> uh, but you know, a lot of the now there's and there's tampering. As soon as this thing was a lot announced, there are already 15, 15 huge deals in place. So clearly, there are some you know indication and some uh, some legwork that was done before it was announced. Yeah, we had a we advised all of the brands that we worked with for that very reason to not announce on July one because it would have been extremely obvious. I think there was a local Atlanta um, retail company two days beforehand that started announcing that they had done NIL deals with Georgia football players, and it was like, look, guys, you just openly admitted to the world. Yes, you may have got your earned media and your bang for your buck from that, but you just admitted that you violated the rules in the process. So, you know, I thought if there was one brand who did it really well degree um, in particular, they just announced on July 1 that they were making a commitment 
you know, they were saying, we're going to commit $5 million to support student athletes through a movement campaign. It wasn't until weeks later that they announced who those athletes actually were. So that way they were able to get the value of the earned media lift being associated with NIL without mm. openly saying, hey, I had any conversation with an athlete before July 1 to contract a deal. You know, that, that was a really smart way mm-hmm. to, to, to get PR value out of this without violating any of the rules in place. Awesome. Awesome. Love it. Um, let's jump. Let's go emerging trends, right? We know about this whole the crypto space, metaverse, NIL is going to play a big part in that space, right? Let's jump in. Uh, I think we can tokenize everything, right? Let's go like, <laughs> NFL draft. We're, and just go, let's go. Let's go pro, right? Uh, you know, Mavericks game tickets already doing it. Uh, you know, Mark Cuban's big on this. You, you brought him up earlier. Um, Mark Cuban is big on like this whole space. He want, kind of wants to be the voice uh, of this, uh, of what's happening from the billionaires club uh, in the sports arena. Um, and, and for an additional fee, you might be able to get like a, a star player's digital signature to add value to it down the road. How are we going to do this? Let's jump into it How, from your vantage point. What are the opportunities here and what should people be looking towards? Well, this is most definitely from a sponsorship standpoint, you know, kind of like where gaming and esports was maybe two years ago, even through the pandemic, the amount of spending that has occurred from crypto related organizations and sports is crazy. And I think Morning Consult came out, they did a study and of the big four pro leagues, as well as the NBA, or excuse me, the NCAA fans in those had the lowest awareness and usage of crypto than say some of the more niche or progressive verticals wow. like, like gaming and esports. So you're seeing the FTXs and the Coinbases and the socios of the world getting into this because I think they've realized if you want to start become becoming more uh, common with your average sports fan, you need to go big and wide in there. I mean, FTX being you know a second naming right sponsor with Miami Heat. I think mm-hmm. socios just announced today a big deal with the Kraft Group in NIL. I think Kentucky men's basketball just got a deal. Every player got an amount deposited through FTX. You know, so this from my standpoint is only going to continue to go deeper and wider um, as it becomes more, more used, more frequent and more part of the common language and culture of the sports fan. You know, these crypto organizations are spending a lot of money to get in and it's something that's been fun to watch um, because it's been everywhere all across sports. You hit up a, you hit up culture. So I love that because before it, crypto was the world, it's currency and protocols, which set up the rails skewed towards finance and tech heads, right? Um, NFTs and all of this day and NILs in the NFT space. Um, you know, right now it's Ethereum contracts, so long as getting into that space, but that's going to bring the culture into crypto, right? And there's so many vast opportunities there. I'm, I'm, I'm all on it. Uh, Anthony, what were you about to add? I just, I just feel like um, whoever gets into this space, I, I mentioned it earlier. I think I just want to emphasize the point about a community. Like, if you're an athlete and you're delving into that space, make sure you're really focusing on building your own community to ensure the success of your NFT. If you're getting into crypto, and, and there has been already NIL deals in these different entities, I've seen a couple of. I think Steinberg and them did some NFT stuff. Um, I've seen some athletes do some crypto deals, but if you're really serious about playing in this space, just consider building your own personal community as you expand to ensure your success. That's all I wanted to add. What are some of the coolest projects you've seen out there in the NILs? NIL, maybe in an NFT space? Uh, NFT? Either of you. I'm going to say I've seen people in this space, but when NIL stuff, 
they never give you the inner workings of the deals. So you only know this company <laughs> did this deal with this athlete. You don't really know like how it's structured. So mm-hmm. I can, I can, I just can tell you what are cool collaborations, but I don't know the extent of the deals. Um, unfortunately, the way that's how they're doing NIL to this point. Yeah. So, I, so, so Candy Digital, um, who's, I would argue the market leader in NCAA NFTs right now. We launched the Sweet Futures line uh, with 22 of the best players in college football uh, in, in, in August and September, heading into the last weeks of October. And um, it was wildly successful. You know, Candy's, before getting into the NCAA, is the official Major League Baseball and Major League Players, Inc. partner um, for NFT specifically. You know, so think like Dapper has with the NBA and Top Shot. Candy is the same thing with the MLB. Um, so from an NIL standpoint, most of the NFT deals I had seen prior to that had been individuals. Like Bryce Young launched his own NFT line that was marketed mm-hmm. and floated out. Um, Candies was the first major platform to go deep and wide across a broad spectrum of athletes. And, you know, the structure of one-on-one auctions, you know, rare opportunities collected to that. The initial sales were great. They were selling within minutes. What we're really excited about and, and encouraged by is actually the secondary sales. You know, the trading that's happening on mm-hmm. OpenSea is, is really unique and, and shows it's not just necessarily within a Discord community of people talking about it. It's becoming more mainstream. People understanding the value like, hey, I could get Chris Olave's digital rookie card. This is my Ken Griffey Jr. 1987 card. It's just a different form and function instead yeah. of those. You know, those athletes who are doing the NFT deals still also have traditional trading card deals. It's not making them obsolete. It's just it's a new complementary mobile first opportunity to connect through. Mm. Love it. Um, and, you know, this kind of culture is going to make it appealing and accessible for mass adoption. It's going to go crazy. One thing you I want to ask you, and I don't know if you know the answer to this. So NIL, it's only allowed while you're a college athlete. So if you if they have so if you're a college athlete and signs one of the commissions in NFT and you t- typically if you set up a contract in a certain way, you can get perpetuity on that. Right. Do they have to cancel out after they go pro then? Is that how it's supposed to be structured then? Yeah, there, there will be new contracts that will have Interesting. to be drawn up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sucks. It really does. Yeah. It really does suck. Like, <laughs> yeah. But look, the, the, at the end of the day, the value of the blockchain is that, you know, this is all memorialized. So, you sure. know, um, unlike other contracts, traditionally, there was no blockchain element to this. Now that it connects into it, we know exactly what the initial and secondary sales trading was. And it's all there. It's all in ink. And that makes this valuable. What do you see? Any, do you foresee any problems or friction with doing this, uh, doing deals in this space? Not so far. It's been, it's been well received. Um, You know, I think, I think it will be about the, I think it will be about the execution and the community to Anthony's point uh, about community here. Um, There's a way to do this. Um, I'd say my bigger concern is really about market saturation at this point. You know, I don't think a a consumer is going to want to buy 15 different versions of an NFT of a college athlete. It's really important to just drive scarcity and demand that way. Um, and then I also think the other thing that, that we're seeing is, you know, how unique is the NFT from a creative standpoint? What What's different about this versus others? Yeah. That's just the standard trading card. And just tying what Anthony made a great point earlier, just to, you know, build that community, unleash that value, unlock value and can continue to add value to it. If you can continue that, you know, as you, they follow you into the pros, hopefully, and then you can, there's community will kind of support you if you can keep dropping these cool ass NFTs, right? That can be kind of great. 
Uh, yeah, love ev- it. Every candy NFT comes with utility. I think that's differentiated. I think you'll hear that from, you know, Gary Vaynerchuk, who's our chairman and AJ, our CEO. Yeah. You know, everyone who bid on the one of one auction, those individuals who won that auction got a virtual meet and greet with the athlete whose NFT they purchased. And I think bringing nice. that real world experience into the digital collectible is extremely important to make sure this continues to thrive. I love it. Any other uh, final thoughts on this space? And then we're going to kind of jump into another section. I'm good. You got any? <laughs> no, I, you guys champion it. All right, we're going to jump in. I'm going I'm to I'm I'm be quiet on this one. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love the space. So I'm going to, so I stole this next section from my other podcast. It's called The Whiskey You. And we drink whiskey while we talk business, tech, and culture. Um, it's called The Shit You Should Know section. So what do you okay. two, experts in the space, any book, movie, something you're watching that people should know about to kind of get well versed in your lane? You can go first, Anthony. That's a tough question. <laughs> I was just talking um, for a while. <laughs> Damn. Great, great way to stall, Zach. I'm going to use that one. I, I, <laughs> man, I, I, honestly, this, I think, um, I would just say that there's a lot of opportunity, like, a lot of information out there that's available as it pertains to NIL. Um, like ever before, there are literally books on how to become an agent. Um, there's podcasts. There's a, a, I'm a big podcaster. So I can give you a, a, a lot of different podcasts, but I think in this NIL space, what's more important is ownership. So I think particularly when it comes to student athletes um, and af- I'm big on athlete ownership. So I think athletes need to understand how to create a business, how to build a business, how to own the brands that you're creating from an IP perspective. I think those things are more important as you're building your brand than um just like the rules of NIL, because you can build a brand and you can elevate a brand, but if you don't own it, what values it really presenting? Um, so I would advise for them to understand more so how to build a business in a brand before we talk about the NIL stuff. And there's plenty of that. That's just my, my personal preference because I'm just big on ownership. I just leave that there. Now I can give you a whole bunch of books on how to build businesses though. Give us one book. Give us his name and title. Um, but one book is a business of sports agents, right? That's the, the, the most obvious. Um, Jeremy Darlow actually wrote a book also on the, um, I think it's the power of branding or something along those lines. Darlow does a, oh, I think it's called Athletes of Brands too. Matter of fact, that's what it's called. Um, I think, uh, student athletes should look into the book by Jeremy Darlow, Athletes of Brands too. Just give them a perspective on how to build your brand as a student athlete. I think those would be two good resources for student athletes. That's fantastic. Okay, thank you. Uh, Zach, you're up. So I think since we've been talking about NIL, it's probably better to – I want to reference something that has nothing to do with that as, as something you should know. Um, one of the best books that I ever read that I think everyone should read who's in business is Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. Mm, um, okay. And it's timeless. You know That book came out so long ago, but especially now – given how divisive some areas of our culture are, understanding it's important to be a good listener, being genuinely interested in other people, making someone else feel important, it's it's quintessential to to how you just communicate, you know, right? Like we're doing this podcast, you know, virtually right now. We're not together in person. So I need to make sure that I'm being a good listener, that I'm being genuinely interested in what you're saying, what Anthony's saying. Um, Those things matter. So... If there's anyone who's listening to this who's like, hey, 
it's great to understand the technical aspects of NIL and sports and the business of it, but I found the most success just in foundational elements of personal relationships and business. Read Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. It will change the way you think about doing business, no matter what vertical you're in. I love that. You know what? You just made me change mine. So I'm going to, I'm going to say a book from Tim Grover, Relentless. Uh, so he, I'm from the Chicago area originally. I'm out here now, the East Coast, but Tim Grover was when the, when Michael Jordan was getting beat up by the Detroit Pistons, literally beat up. Like, you know, they were like clotheslining, <laughs> trying to tear his ACL. They're trying to just destroy the guy because they, you could back then. Um, and he still beat him eventually. Uh, <laughs> but he put on an ad. He was like, I gotta, I got, I gotta beef up. So Tim Grover was his personal trainer. And, and he, and he started working with Michael Jordan and his, and then, um, and he, Michael Jordan said, uh, you know, notoriously, I'll give you one month. Let's see what you got. 15 years later, six championships. He ended up working with Kobe Bryant, Dwayne Wade's quite a hit list of clients. Uh, so that's a great book and it's about just winning and succeeding. And um, that's why Michael Jordan will always be my goat. Oh, no, no doubt. It, I- I'm a big Tim Grover fan. I haven't read oh, that book, nice. but I heard it's on the list. I like I've seen his interviews before, and you can kind of see he he is relentless. It makes sense. Dude, he's, you know? he's <laughs> and he's he's from the same. I'm gonna say one last thing. He's a South Asian dude, like I am. He's from the same part of India where I'm from. So like um, I just love just seeing someone like that worked with Kobe and Michael Jordan. Like that's amazing. And a local you know, homegrown kid, Dwayne Dwayne Wade. It's always the stuff like that, which is great. And I didn't say this as part of my intro, but the reason why I love books like that, stories like that, you know, I've been in the sports entertainment business for 15 years. I was actually kicked out of my sports marketing class when I went to Lehigh because I didn't have the prerequisites. So to that point, it, it, it comes in and right. Look at me now, mom. Um, but you can sit here and say, <laughs> you can sit here and say if, if you get and understand the fundamentals of relationships and business building and learn from other people's stories, then it, it can be applied no matter what vertical you're in. I love it. You both have been amazing. I've taken a lot of your time. Uh, this has been the FinTech Black Series, uh, the sports nil space and we had two experts on i know you learned a lot thank you so much